bless you, Lord. Wow. Praise God. Just take a moment right there. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Father, let me hear this word. I believe that that is from the Lord today. Just lift your hands and just say, Lord, Lord, let me take that and run with it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the prophetic words that confirm, Lord, in our hearts the things that you're saying to us. And Lord, right at the very beginning of that word, you said that many of us in this room were salt at one point, but we have lost that flavor. And Father, that is in keeping with what you've laid on my heart today. So I pray that we would humble ourselves this morning and receive this and that we would be who we're called to be in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Bless God. You know, uh, for those of you that maybe were not brought up in a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition, I always like to say this. You know, you may not know what that was, what was going on there, but we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are laid out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are not just for a day gone by, but they are for today as well in Jesus' name. And one of those gifts is the gift of prophecy. And we know that the gift of prophecy does not supersede the Word of God but we believe that it's in keeping with the word of God. And what was said here today, I really, truly, in my heart, believe that it's of the Lord because Frank and I haven't talked since Monday night. Frank had no idea what the Lord put on my heart to share today. And so that was from the Lord because it, it confirms what's there. And so again, you know, we may not understand all of these things. Now, for those of us who were raised in Pentecost and in charismatic churches, we're comfortable with that. If you're not, you might be a little um, uncomfortable, but that is the Spirit of the Lord. And it's there to manifest, Paul said, that the presence of God is here with us today. And we need to humble ourselves before Him and receive what He is saying to the church in this hour in Jesus mighty name my prayer is that we would see more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving we need power in this hour can you say amen to that we we truly do amen so again father we just ask that you'd guide us over these next few moments speak to us I ask in Jesus name and everyone said amen and amen and again turn to your neighbor and just tell them that you love them in Jesus name amen Hey, listen, for those of you that are just joining us, we are in the middle of a series that we started last week and we'll be finishing next week on Father's Day that we have simply called Integrity. And over the last couple of weeks, I have shared with you that integrity is something that we don't talk about much anymore, if any. Um, we certainly do not value integrity in the United States of America and the evidence of that is all around. 
We see the complete collapse of morality and ethics in the United States and we recognize that that is the sad result of a lack of integrity and the fact that we do not prize being men and women of integrity any longer. And like I have said over the last couple of weeks, even though I am very concerned about the long-term effects that a lack of integrity will have upon this country, I can tell you that I am infinitely more concerned about the long-term effects of a lack of integrity will have upon the church of Jesus Christ, especially in all of our endeavors of winning men and women to Christ. Whether we like it or not, Jesus said very early in his ministry on the Sermon on the Mount that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. And with those words, Jesus made it very clear that our conduct adds credibility to the message that we speak. What Jesus was saying is you need to make sure that you're living a blameless life. That you're living a life of integrity because if you don't, you're actually undermining the message that you are speaking. And so, whether we like it or not, the world has a right to expect better from us. Whether we like it or not, the world has a right to expect more from us. They have a right to expect that we are going to have better marriages. That we are going to have better families. That we're going to have a better ethical and moral compass. They have every right to expect to come into the house of God and to see the power of the Holy Spirit moving. Because we say it, and we just sung it a moment ago, that the resurrected king is in us, resurrecting us from dead works unto a new life in Jesus' name. And so the world has a right to expect more from us and they have a right to call us hypocrites every time we fall short of it. Because greater is the one living in us than he that is in this world and we need to be living an overcoming life. We need to be living a life of integrity. Now over the last couple weeks I've told you that integrity covers the idea of completeness and wholeness and soundness. And someone who walks in integrity has desegregated their life. They have decompartmentalized their life and they have fully integrated their faith into every facet of their life. It's the idea that they've removed all duplicity and all hypocrisy. That it doesn't matter where you put them. It doesn't matter what environment you expose them to. It doesn't matter who they're with or if they're all alone. It doesn't matter if you visit them on the good days or the bad days. When the world is going well, when the world is falling apart, you will always find them being the same person because they have fully integrated their faith into every area of their life. And so even though they might stumble and even though there may be moments when they fall, still they will rise up. They will own their failure and they will move on for the glory and for the honor of God because they're men and women of integrity. Because they have learned to integrate their faith into every aspect of their life. So it doesn't matter whether they're wearing the hat of marriage, whether they're wearing the hat of family, whether they're uh, wearing the hat of their private life or their public life, they will always be responding as a child of God. That's what it means to be faithful. 
That's what it means to be unchangeable. When Jesus welcomes his children into the kingdom of God, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's saying, my my good and my integral servant. You have integrated faith into every area of your life and you are without compromise. That is how we're called to live. Now, the text that we have been using each week comes to us from Proverbs 22 and verse number one. He says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And these words, again, were penned by Solomon, King Solomon, and as I said to you last week, King Solomon, um, outside of Jesus Christ, was the wisest man that ever walked upon the face of the earth. The wisdom that he had gained was supernaturally given to him by the Holy Spirit, and his wisdom and his insight were so legendary at that time that kings and queens and military leaders and other influential men and women of that day would actually pay tribute to Solomon. Solomon just to sit at his feet and to learn of his wisdom, to learn of his insight. And this is the context of that particular portion of scripture. And what Solomon is basically saying is, having sat with some of the most powerful, some of the most wealthy leaders in the known world, I will tell you that integrity, that a good reputation, a good name that has been developed over years of living a life of integrity is to be chosen over riches, silver, gold, positions, and titles. In a poetic way, what Solomon is saying is integrity will take you places that money can never take you. That integrity will influence men and women in a way that positions and titles will never influence men and women. So he says, in all of your pursuits, pursue integrity. If you want to be a mover and a shaker in this world and change lives and influence men and women, don't spend time making money and trying to get up the corporate ladder in titles and positions. Just be a man of integrity. Just be a woman of integrity. That will influence more men and women over time than anything else. So we need to be men and women of integrity. If there is any place you should be able to go and find integrity, it is in the house of the living God Almighty. Can I hear a better amen than that here this morning? Amen. Yeah, give the Lord praise. That is the way we should be striving to live in Jesus' name. All right, now. Before I get into what the Lord's laid on my heart here this morning, I need to back up just a little bit and I need to clarify something because up until this point, I have basically been using reputation and integrity interchangeably. And that was purposeful because there are similarities, but it's very important at this point in this series to recognize that even though there are similarities between integrity and reputation they are two very different and separate things as well which is to say that you can have a good reputation and still not be a man or a woman of integrity write that down and don't forget it you can have a really good reputation and still not be a man or a woman of integrity now listen i will tell you this that everyone who has integrity will typically have a good reputation. 
And I say typically because obviously you can still be slandered and there are people that can falsely accuse you to tarnish your reputation. But in general, if you have integrity, you will have a good reputation. But not everyone who has a good reputation is actually a man or a woman of integrity. It is possible to have a good reputation among many and still have no integrity within your heart. Abraham Lincoln once said this, character is like a tree and reputation is like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. And you see, our reputation is what people think of us But our integrity is who we really are. And that's what we need to realize within our heart. That it is possible for men and women to think a lot about us. But to actually have God see us for who we really are. And that's why you must possess great humility and razor sharp honesty. If you're going to properly assess who you really are. And not buy into what people think about you. You know, most of us are very comfortable hearing what people say about us and assessing ourselves and say, you know what, I must be a pretty good man. I must be a pretty good woman because listen to what they're saying about me and look at what they said about me on Facebook and they seem to affirm who I am. So I must be all of that, but it's possible for everyone to think that you are great and for God to look and say, no, you are failing me miserably. And the question is, do you and I have the courage, do we have the humility, do we have the honesty to just get alone with God and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what everybody says about me. It only matters what you say about me because you see me for who I really am. And I need you to search my heart and know the depths of my being because I don't want to slip into eternity thinking I'm all of that only to come to realize that I have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, Jesus called out the very church of Sardis on this issue. Some of you know this. It's in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 1. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works. Speaking to the church of Sardis. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now listen to what Jesus is saying to the church in the city of Sardis. He says, I know that you have a reputation of being alive. I hear what the community is saying about you. I know that you have a reputation of being a church that's doing great things. That you're being involved with the community. I know you have a reputation of making a difference and being on the move. And I know that people speak well of you. I know that you have a reputation of having a congregation that's loving and generous and forgiving. And that you have healthy marriages and you have healthy families. And that you're good, moral, and ethical people. But Jesus said, I know your works. I know what you're like at home. I know what you're like when you're with your husband, when you're with your wife, when you're with your kids, when you're with your parents, when you're with your friends. He says, I know what you're looking at when you're home alone on your computer. And even though everyone in the community thinks you're wonderful and alive, the reality is, I know you're dead. Jesus said, your reputation may work with everyone else, 
But it's not working with me because I know who you really are. And I know what you're really thinking. And I know the motives and the intents of your heart that no one else knows. And so you can have a great reputation with them, but I know who you really are. Love the way you're shouting now. And we can come here every Sunday. And everyone can say to us, wow, you're such a blessing. You're such a generous person. You're so caring. You're so concerned. You're so inspirational. You sing so well. You preach so well. You are such a man or a woman of God. And God could be looking at you and saying, but I know your works. And you're dead. You never spend time with me. You don't pray. And when you do pray, it's only to lay out what you want me to do in your life. You never wait in my presence and ask, Father, what would you have me to do? You never study the word of God to show yourself approved. You don't really dig into it. You pick up little aids to help you that I put on somebody else's heart, but you've never fleshed out what I'm saying to you. Everything that you do, you do to win the applause of men and women to build up a reputation so that people will think you are a good man or a good woman, but you never consider my heart. And though everyone in the community and everyone in the church says, wow, you are such a stellar man or woman of God, I know the truth, you're dead. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, I would have to assume that the reason we're really quiet right now is that's scary. It's scary to think that the whole world could see me as being on fire for God, but God to say, you're dead. You're dead. When I was thinking about it over the weekend, I was reminded of when Samuel the prophet went down to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. And he had no idea who it was going to be. He just knew that Jesse had a number of sons. And obviously Jesse, the father, brings out his oldest son first, thinking that he had to be the next king. And this is what happens in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab... And he said, this is Samuel, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, before God. Now, what's amazing is that is an incredible leap. And it is an incredible conclusion that he reaches. And how does he reach that conclusion? By what he saw. It says right there that when Samuel looked at Eliab, he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So what he's saying is, he looks like a king. He looks like a man who could lead a nation. He looks charismatic. He looks the part of royalty. Surely this is man is anointed of God to be the next king. And God says, wait a minute. Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow. 
He says, Samuel, how long have you walked with me and you haven't learned yet? I'm not looking at everyone the way you're looking at everyone. You're looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. It's not about reputation. It's about integrity. And this man doesn't have any integrity. He may look like a king. He may have gifts that would operate well in kingdom authority, but he is not a man of integrity. And isn't that the problem? We look at the outward appearance. We are obsessed with the outward appearance. That's why we dress the way we dress. That's why we've got to have that bag. That's why we got to have those shoes. That's why we got to drive that car. Let's be honest. We think it's because God blessed us, but we want to project an image. We want a reputation. God says, I don't look at the outward appearance. Because that's all it is. It's appearance. It's the way things appear to be. God is looking at the heart. He's looking at the motives. He's looking at the intents. He is looking deep into the recesses of our heart. And he sees what no one else can see. And so it could be that the people that we hold in the highest regards, because they dress nice, because they drive nice cars, because they speak so well to us, because they have the biggest smile, because they seem to be so generous, because they can quote scriptures, because they can pray really hard, have actually been refused by God. God. And even more painful is that it might also be true that even though men and women hold us in high regard and believe that we love the Lord and have a reputation of being on fire for God and alive in the spirit, that in fact we are dead in the eyes of God. And I got to be honest, that is my greatest concern for Bethel Church. Listen, we have worked long and hard to have a good reputation in this township and around. We have, and there's nothing wrong with that. And thankfully, we have a good reputation with the mayor. And we have a good reputation with our city council. I will routinely run into the mayor or uh, other council members at Starbucks. I go in to get a cup of coffee and oftentimes they're there and they just say, Pastor Kurt, your church is such a blessing. You've done this. I'm glad that we have a reputation with them. I'm glad that we have a good reputation with the people of our community through the years. Just people stopping me at Wawa or someplace and saying, you don't know me, but I went to your drama and I went to this outreach and, and you guys have been such a blessing. I'm thankful for that good reputation and we need to thank the Lord for that. But I often often remind myself that when I stand before God one day, it will be God. And the mayor's rep, the mayor's idea of me isn't going to matter anything. The council isn't going to matter anyway. The people of this community, their opinion of me is not going to matter. It's what God says, not my reputation, the integrity of my heart. Come on, everybody. We had better wake up on this. Because some of us believe our own press. We will listen to what everybody says about us. We'll look, and that's why you are obsessed with Facebook. Because you like the people that like you. The first thing you do when you post something is watch who is liking it. Who is liking it. It makes you feel good, but your reputation doesn't mean anything. It is what God says about your heart and your life. Come on. We want people to affirm us, but it's not about people. It's about God. 
It's about going to bed every night and hearing God say, well done today. You were faithful. You were a man or a woman of integrity. You know what I find particularly frightening is that this church in Sardis was not even aware that this was the condition they were in until Jesus pointed it out. Or at the very least, they were unwilling to admit it. And I want to ask you, are you willing to admit that you're dead? Because many of you are dead today. And I wrestle with this in my own life, but some of you, it has been years since there was a moment when you were alone with God and all of a sudden he came in like a mighty rushing wind and stirred up a passion and a fire and a zeal within your heart. But you keep coming to church and everybody says you're such a good encouragement, you think, "Ah, I'm not that bad. Do you have the ability to admit, I may have a reputation of being a child of God, but I'm not. I have a reputation of being on fire for God, but I know I'm really not. What did he tell them to do? He said, wake up. Wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. That can be taken two ways, I guess, here this early in the morning. But he just said, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Did you hear that? I haven't found your works complete in the sight of my God. Not in the sight of man, because in the sight of man, you have a reputation of being alive. But in the sight of God, you're dead. You're dying. And I know it. There's no passion. There's no zeal. When you come in on Sunday morning, it's like this. When you go to work in the morning, it's with a grudge. There's no fire in your bones. There's no passion for the things of God. When you think about doing your devotions, it's like, you know, seriously, I know I'm being, I know I'm being raw today, but the reality is this church long ago lost some passion and some fire and some zeal. And at some point, God is going to put me in this pulpit to say, wake up, wake up. He says, I haven't found your works complete in the sight of my God. Complete. There's that word. Remember what integrity means? Integrity means complete, whole. It means soundness. What he's saying is, I have not found you to be a church of integrity. You have a reputation of being alive, but you have an integrated faith into every aspect of your life. And though everyone else says you're living, I know you're dead. So he says, listen to this. Now, this is in your Bible. I don't know whether you knew this. This isn't just up on the screen. This is in your Bible, and this is what Jesus said. Not me, Jesus. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. He says, remember what I'm saying to you this day. Receive it and keep it and repent. Turn away. I'm not going to keep reaching out to you if you don't repent. This is what he says. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. (laughs) Now there's something you don't hear every day. Most of the time, pastors stand behind the pulpit and say, God is for you, not against you. 
not here. I mean, I'm not making this up. He said, if you don't repent of your deadness and you don't get over your reputation and strive for integrity, like a thief in the night, I'm coming in an hour you least expected and I'm coming against you. I'm gonna bring judgment and wrath upon you. Now, some people say, wait a minute, in an hour I'm not expecting, that seems unfair. I mean, why wouldn't he warn us? He just did. He just warned him. He said, I see you dying. And I'm telling you, you need to wake up and strengthen the things which are in the process of dying right now. And if you don't repent, like a thief in the night, I'm going to come when you least expect and judgment will fall. You ever heard the expression, they're kicking the can down the road. And that is what Sardis was doing. They knew this, but they just kept kicking the can down the road. I got plenty of time. You know, we can deal with this eventually. They just kept kicking the can down the road, thinking that eventually God would forget about it. That eventually he would accept the situation. That there wouldn't be any ramification. They just kept kicking the can down the road until finally Jesus said, you know what, you're going to run out of road soon. And when you run out of road, I am going to come against you with judgment. He doesn't even say what it's going to be. He just says, I'm coming against you. Because you're tarnishing my name. Come on, somebody, talk to me. When you and I do not live lives of integrity, we're not destroying our name, we're destroying the name of Christ. Because we call ourselves Christians. And there's some of us right here, like the church of Sardis, we've heard it before. You've heard it from me, you've heard it in your devotions, you've heard it with other preachers that you've listened to on the radio, and you know God is saying, you gotta stop that. You gotta come out of that. But you just keep kicking the can down the road, thinking that eventually God will forget it, it'll be swept under the rug, you'll never have to deal with it. But eventually God says, like a thief in the night, I'm going to come, and judgment will not be spared. I know. We don't hear that in the United States, and I'm just an old dinosaur. I know. I get it. But folks, I care about your soul, and this is what Jesus said to a New Testament church. And before anybody says, well, I I just need more proof, let me give it to you. Galatians 6, verse 7, Paul said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He says, do not be deceived in this. Don't you think for a moment that just because you didn't get caught, you won't get caught. Don't you think for a moment that just because no one found out, no one will ever find out? Don't you think for a moment that just because you've gotten away with it up to this point, you're always going to get away with it? Do not be deceived. And then he gives us three principles. Number one, God is not mocked. There is not one person on this planet that will ever resist God and get away with it. God is not mocked. God will bring judgment. The second thing, whatever a man sows, that is what he is going to reap. He says very clearly, if you sow 
obedience to the Holy Spirit, so of your spirit you will reap everlasting life. But if you sow disobedience by living by your desires and what you think is right and what you think is proper, then of your flesh you will reap destruction. That is a law of harvest. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And the third principle that is here is that there is no substitute for repentance. There is no substitute for repentance. In, in other words, time is not going to let you off the hook. There is no statute of limitations with God. Man, that was good. I, that just came out right there. There's no statute of limitations with God. Don't you think for a moment that's because what happened happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, that somehow time has erased that from the memory of God. God does not forget. There is no substitute for repentance. Now, listen, I've, I've said this before, that repentance does not extend to consequences. We know that. Whatever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. And a lot of people feel that when they repent, there should be no more consequences. But listen, in the words of you know, worldly wisdom, you made the bed, now you have to lie in it. And repentance does not extend to our consequences. But I can say this, that repentance can impact the consequences. I believe that the earlier you repent and the more sincere your repentance is, it can have an effect upon the consequences that you experience in your life. Fewer consequences that you have to deal with the earlier you go into it and the more sincere that your repentance is, it really brings about a quicker healing with those consequences. I just have been on this earth long enough to know that and to see that. But there is no substitute for repentance. And so if you think that just time will erase these things you are in a very dangerous place because God says unless you repent I'm going to come against you Mm. we've said it before we think that because no one found out because no one got caught because no one saw the text because no one received the email because there were no cameras because it's just her word against mine that I got away with it or maybe that God doesn't care, but God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. And there is no substitute for repentance. And if we do not repent and return to lives of integrity, judgment will come. Here is what's sobering to me, is that not only do I not know when judgment will come, but I don't know who it will affect. I can't, uh, there's no way that I can calculate the impact that judgment will have. I, I don't know when it's coming, and I don't know who it's going to affect. It would be nice to think that if I did the crime, I alone will do the time. It, it would be great to think that, but the longer time goes on, the more people get involved because anyone's connected to me is going to suffer a little bit, and maybe a lot. There's an incredible story that's related to us in Exodus 32. You can go there if you want to, or you can just follow along. 
But let me give you a little bit of a background so that you know the context of this. This is Exodus 32. The children of Israel have already, by the miraculous power of God, been delivered from Egypt. They are now in the wilderness. Uh, The Egyptian army has been destroyed along with Pharaoh. And at this particular moment, Moses is in the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Okay? And this is what we read. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Can I just stop there long enough to say this? The Bible still says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How many of you have walked with God long enough to know that God is not in a hurry? Come on How many of you have been walking with the Lord long enough to know that God is not working on your timetable? Like, like how many of you are like, okay, and and you get really in trouble when you start thinking that God's got to move on your time frame. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Pastor Aaron, he's the assistant pastor, if you will, not to be confused with Pastor Joe. Come on! He says, come on, they said, listen to this, make us some gods who can lead us. What an affront to God. God has just led them out of Egypt with his strong hand. He has brought plagues upon Egypt. He has opened up the Red Sea. He's caused them to cross the, the, the sea without getting wet at all. He brings the walls of water down upon the Egyptian army, drowns them out, and it's not enough. They said, make us gods that can lead us. What an affront to God. Now listen, many of you know that in the Old Testament, God was much swifter in judgment. Like, he just would come quickly. And it's not because God's character changed. It's just that in the Old Testament, there was no restraint. But in the New Testament, we have a restraint. Jesus Christ and the cross that he died upon. I'm going to tell you, folks, we have no idea the evil that has been restrained in this planet because of the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. There is great restraint. Billions of men and women have been restrained by the love of God revealed upon the cross of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there was no restraint. So God would deal with them swiftly because he had to get a message out. You can't sin. It's destructive. It's unintentional intelligent and it hurts men and women so he would judge very quickly so listen i mean when you hear this you know make us gods who will lead us if i was there I would have just taken a few steps back because i would have expected at any moment the skies to open and lightning come and boom they're gone nothing happens nothing we don't know what happened to this fellow moses disrespectful to him who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When I read that this week, I thought, how many times has this dude done this? I mean, did you ever think about that? If this was the first time, do you think that it would have even closely resembled a calf? I mean, how many times has this guy done it? Just something to think about. 
When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, which is always dangerous when leaders are moving according to what the people want. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the cab. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Not the Lord God, but to this calf. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice, burn offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feastings and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. In, in other words, they worshipped this calf as if it were God, but they reduced it down to pagan, heathenistic styles of worship. I'm going to tell you... How many occasions during just those few verses would you have backed up and said, oh my, what is coming next? I mean, we just would have expected on a number of occasions for God to wipe them out. But they're still standing. They mocked Moses. They cried out for other gods to be made. Aaron made them a golden calf and announced that this calf brought them out of Egypt. They built an altar to it and they worshipped it in the most heathenistic, godless manner. Judgment should have come any one of those moments, but it didn't. Now watch this. When they came near the camp, this is Moses and his entourage, Moses saw the calf and the dancing and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then they ground it into powder, threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. Game on. I mean, Moses is jacked up right now. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? <laughs> well, I love this. Aaron replied, don't get so upset, my Lord. Notice he calls him my Lord. They had called him that fellow. Now he's my Lord. He got caught. Don't get so upset, my Lord. You yourself know how evil these people are. Moses, if there's anybody that knows the kind of people that they are, it's you. They complain about everything. They're blaming you. They're blaming God. You know what they're like. And they said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, Whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I just simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. You should read your Bible more often. I mean, it's a great thing. How many of you of parents have ever heard your kids saying stuff like that? I don't know who made the mess. You're the only one here. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so funny. He just looks at him and says, you know, Moses, you know what kind of people they are. Why are you so angry? Why are you so upset? Look, you know, you were taking your jolly good old time up there, and they came to me, and they wanted something, and so I just, I didn't know what to do, so I panicked. And I said, well, I'm, I'll stall. Go and get the gold earrings from everyone in the camp. There were millions of them. I figured it would take too long for them. Then they got back and I didn't know what to do. So I just threw it in the fire. And then presto changeo comes out this calf. <laughs> when you have no integrity, you'll lie. 
We can count time after time when lightning should have come out of the sky and judgment should have fallen. And it did eventually. But you know what's interesting? Nothing happened to Aaron. At the very least, you would have expected Aaron to be taken out of leadership, right? I mean, he should have been taken out of leadership, but he didn't. He just stayed in leadership. In fact, you go through the whole book of Exodus and Aaron is still in leadership. So do we have a contradiction? The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. All of a sudden, he's not reaping. He is continuing in ministry. And all of us have seen that as well. There's no repentance. There's, there's no place where Aaron says, I've sinned against God. There's no place where he actually humbles himself before the Lord, at least that we have here. He stays on in leadership. And all of us have seen that, and some of us have seen it in our own lives where we never repent, we never really made it right with God, we never really made it right with people, but it seems like God is still blessing us. And we just start thinking, I got away with it. Evidently, that wasn't a big deal to God. You come to Leviticus 1, Aaron's still in leadership. You come to Leviticus 2, he's still in leadership. Leviticus 3, he's still in leadership. Leviticus 4, he's still in leadership. Leviticus 5, he's still in leadership. 6, 7, 8, he's still in leadership. Leviticus 9, he's still in leadership. Then you come to chapter 10. And this is what you read. Nadab and Abihu put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. And in this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him, God, the wrong kind of fire different than God had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord. The very thing that we thought would have happened in Exodus 32, but didn't, does happen here. And then Moses turned to Aaron. He said, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. Now listen to this. This is telling. And Aaron was silent. Now, what's amazing is that when you look at what Nadab and Abihu did personally, it doesn't look any we're near as bad as what Aaron did for a whole nation. Aaron led the whole nation into idolatry, whereas Nadab and Abihu just, they just perverted themselves. They, they offered up a strange fire, a strange sacrifice to God. But understand that they were trying to approach God the way they wanted to approach him, in a way they were comfortable with. And fire blazed from heaven and burned them up. I mean, they were toast immediately. Now that seems a little extreme to us, I know. But again, remember that when it comes to approaching God, God is not messing around. There has always been one prescribed way to the Father. In the Old Testament, it was through the sacrificial system and your faith in it. In the New Testament, it is through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes into the Father but through me. And for those of you who think that you can carve out another way to God, you're sadly mistaken. And unfortunately, you can live in that deceptive lie you've created for the rest of your life and only find out when it's too late. 
that it was never enough. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Muhammad cannot take you to Allah. You can meditate until you're blue in the face. Your meditation will not bring you into nirvana. Only through Jesus Christ can your sins be forgiven. Can you be born again and ushered into the presence of Almighty God? There is one part of the story that I purposely laid out. Some of you may know it. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's sons. It says right there, I just left it out, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense. So now we learn where they learned how to offer unlawful sacrifices from daddy. And judgment came. Now some people would say, well, that's unjust because he's judging the sons for the sins of the father. No, he didn't. He judged them for their transgression. They offered up the unlawful sacrifice. Daddy just paved the way with his lack of integrity. See, those boys were there when daddy made a convenient sacrifice and idolatry. And they watched dad never repent, never really make this right. And they thought that they could get away with it themselves. And judgment came. Bible says in Proverbs 20, in verse 7, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. If that's true, then the opposite would be true. The wicked walk with compromise and cursed are their children who follow them. And our children are raised under a curse, so to speak. It's not like a witch cursing you, but you're putting them in the worst possible condition when you raise them in a home where there is no integrity, where there is no integration of faith into our day-to-day lives. This is gonna be tough, so just buckle up. But if you don't hear it, then you'll never consider it. Maybe, maybe. The problem with your children is you and your lack of integrity. You're busy blaming the church. You're busy blaming their friends. You're busy blaming the youth pastor. When in reality, you as a mom and a dad were placed in your child's life to be the primary vehicle through which the gospel of Jesus Christ was communicated to them. And it's your lack of integrity that has actually led them down a road where they thought they could worship God on their own terms. Some of you, you know what? Don't, don't applaud there. I understand where you're coming from, but that's tough. Some of you have wondered how you could raise your son and your daughter in church, 
how you could take them to youth group, how you could involve them with fine arts and various other ministries that we have here. And then they fell away from the Lord. And maybe it's because for 18 years, all they saw is your lack of integrity. And they just took your example to the next logical conclusion. You say that faith is important to you, but you show up once a week. You don't involve yourself. You don't submit to anyone. You don't get involved in any community of faith so that there is accountability. Your kids never see you praying. They never see you reading the word of God. They do not see you integrating your faith in your decisions, in your choices every day. And that child sees that for 18 years and they just see religion. And though you got a reputation in here that you're alive, your children know who you really are at home. And they're just following your example like these two boys followed Aaron. Integrity matters, folks. Mom and dad, listen to me. The reason that we teach this is because this next generation needs Jesus like never before. And this is why, even when we fail, listen, we're not perfect as moms and dads. All the perfect parents here say amen. Good. There's not a one of us that are. But even parents of integrity will own up to their failures, will sit down with their kids and say, I'm sorry. And I know that my sorry doesn't mean much right now, but you watch me. And over my life, I'm going to show you how to integrate faith into my day-to-day life so that I'm the same man on Sunday as I am on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's not going to be any duplicity in this home. This is where it begins because, folks, our integrity can affect generations to come, but our lack of integrity can do the same thing. And your lack of integrity It may not be judged the day after or the week after or the year after or the decade after, but God is not mocked. One day it will because there's no substitute for repentance. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm gonna close in prayer. But before I do, can we just take a moment in this quiet and just say, Lord, search my heart. Father, I ask 
that even though this message was was hard, um, I pray that as it settles in the hearts of men and women here today who have opened themselves up to you, that it does not come as, as condemnation, but it's received as a warning from a loving Father in heaven of the devastating effects of our lack of integrity. The effects that it can have in people that we truly love. And it can come at a time when we were least expected. And it can come in a way we never dreamed. I'm sure that Aaron never thought that one day judgment would come and that even his sons would be involved in it. Lord, help us to be men and women of honor, to be men and women of integrity, of character. May we not be as the church at Sardis that had a great reputation of being alive, but you look and say, no, you're dead. Lord, help us. Help us to wait upon the Holy Spirit for fresh fire, for fresh passion, that we will not have a reputation of people of the Spirit, but we will have the integrity of the Spirit because we actually are living in what we say we have. Help us. May you be glorified in our all. In Jesus' name. love me <laughs> it's not reputation <laughs> it's integrity listen next week I had to get this one out of the way next week I'll end on a much brighter note by sharing an example of what happens when godly fathers are men of integrity because we live in a dastardly day but God has a plan of saving our household and so next week we're going to talk about when men and women of integrity step up and the protection they can bring their family in Jesus name so be back on Father's Day dads dress comfortably I think I'm going to wear a Hawaiian shirt we're just going to have some fun next week I love all of you have a wonderful day in the Lord God bless y'all